Hello and welcome to the Irwin Mitchell podcast, here to keep you up to date with legal and financial news that matters to you. My name is Laura Daly and I'll be the guest host today. The loss of your baby or child is simply unimaginable, but it's something over 22,000 parents and carers experience every single year. With National Bereaved Parents Day taking place this Saturday, we'd like to use this opportunity to talk about the pain of losing someone you love. It's not going to be an easy discussion and some of you may find some of the subjects we talk about upsetting. But with the help of three special guests, we'd like to showcase the support available, remind people they're not alone, and try to normalise a conversation that, for understandable reasons, isn't discussed enough. Firstly, I'd like to introduce Gail Rutledge, the Chief Executive Officer of A Child of Mine. Gail, could you tell us a bit about the amazing work your charity does and why it was launched in the first place? Hi, Laura. Yes, of course. Um, So a bit of a backstory, I suppose, for me. I'm a bereaved parent um, and I lost Lewis to cancer um, 11 years ago next month, actually. His journey was a long one, um, a bit of a roller coaster, but it actually highlighted to us after he died that there was such a lack of support for parents when a child has died. We had a daughter that was seven at the time and there was quite a lot of support out there for her. But we found that we were quite isolated and there wasn't a lot for us as parents. And more so, it actually highlighted those that had lost a child suddenly. You know, we'd had a support network around us um, throughout Lewis's journey. And that was a real, real help to us going through that. But we felt that, you know, somebody that had lost a child suddenly, where would they even know where to go and look for support and help? Um, And that was really my inspiration behind the charity. And it was never meant to be a charity initially. It was only going to be a website. But as time grew and I just felt that there was more opportunities for us to do and work with families as a charity. So we have been a charity for eight years now as a registered charity. And we support families, anybody that's been affected by the death of a child, really. And we offer emotional support. Um, I'm not a counsellor. I have have training, but I'm not a fully qualified counsellor. But I've over the years, I've picked up a lot. And, you know, we work emotionally with families and offer that support, that peer support, I suppose. And just working with families to let them know that they're not alone, I think is so important um, to help them feel less isolated. So we, we run support groups locally. We work one-to-one and we also work with bereaved children as well a little bit. So, you know, our our work is is mainly with the families, but we also do a lot with professionals and working and trying to educate them in how to work with bereaved families, what to say, what not to say, things to be mindful of. And I think, again, that is so valuable for the professionals to understand the needs of a bereaved parent and how they can improve the care that they give. So really, yeah, we carrying on and we're doing what we can to help families and we're always trying to look for new ways because every single bereaved parent is very different and they grieve very differently as well so it's working out and seeing how we can we can adapt what we do to help them. That's incredible Gail thank you a really admirable charity trying to do its bit for bereaved parents. We'll talk a lot more about the crucial support you offer and the difference it makes shortly. Joining Gail is Dr Richard Kaplan a consultant psychiatrist. Dr Kaplan, could you talk about your career and and how you help people who are suffering bereavement? Yes. Um, I graduated in medicine from the University of Glasgow and then I trained in psychiatry in London at Guy's Hospital and St George's Hospital in London for about 10 years. 
and then I worked as a consultant psychiatrist in Lincolnshire for 10 years, and then as a consultant psychiatrist in Glasgow for 10 years. Currently work doing a range of things. I work in Harley Street in London. I work um, in the um, General Medical Council. I see doctors who are sick and advise on their health. I work for the Royal College of Psychiatrists, supporting psychiatrists who are in difficulty. And I also do a lot of medical legal work, and I've done about 5,000 cases of medical legal work, some of which have included situations that we're describing today. So I, I, in terms of who I see who have been bereaved, and we may come to this um, in our discussion, bereaved parents, bereaved in any situation, very rarely comes to a psychiatrist. There are all sorts of reasons for that. And it, that may strike you as an odd thing to say that I'm here to talk to you about bereavement. But one of the things I think I can help you all understand is how to access services and why a psychiatrist might be helpful to you, but also why a psychiatrist might not be helpful to you. So we can come to that as we go along. Thanks, Dr. Kaplan. That's exactly it, isn't it? The, the critical issues of, of where and how to gain support, whether that's through a psychiatrist, support groups or elsewhere. So indeed, we'll come on to that. But finally, I'd like to introduce our guest, Andy Swinburne, a client of ours at Erwin Mitchell, who very sadly experienced every parent's worst nightmare. Firstly, thank you, Andy, so much for agreeing to come on to our podcast and talk about what happened to you and your family. I really do appreciate this is difficult, but could you tell us a little bit about your journey? Um, sure, yeah. Thanks, Laura. Um, yeah, so we, um, our son, um, Theo, Theodore, Theo was still born in July 2016. So we were full term, so my wife was actually eight days overdue. So, uh, yeah, 41 plus one, um, perfectly healthy pregnancy up until that point. We were actually due to be um, induced the following morning, um, but went hostile with reduced movements. Um, and we got there, you know, put us on the monitor. And, you know, we're really relieved that he still had a heartbeat and we assumed everything was fine, breathed a sigh of relief. Um, but yeah, things just went downhill. And I think, um, you know, they were monitoring. But yeah, I think basically crucial warning signs were missed. So, um, you know, silly things like the machine was giving out terminal warnings, yet the machine was assumed to be faulty and swapped. And you're basically a catalogue of errors that just cascaded up and down staff. Um, meant that they did deliver emergency c-section but it was basically just too late by that point so uh yeah theo was still born um yeah they tried to resuscitate him but yeah it was just too late um and then yeah it's kind of the journey of building back up from them really obviously it's yeah everyone's worst nightmare where your world kind of falls apart but you know you build it back up again um it's a difficult journey. Um, we had support from, you know, various people, friends, family, uh, colleagues, a lot of charities, um, support groups that were invaluable. And that was how we um, came to be introduced to Erin Mitchell as well. So we did, um, yeah, we did settle the legal case that was actually settled last year. Um, and yeah, um, since then, we've gone on to have uh, two babies as well. So uh, Pippa and Sebastian, age one and three. And that's great. You know, that, that helps a long way. But yeah, we're still very keen on having Theo, you know, part of the family. Um, and day-to-day -day life and um, yeah he would have been five uh, this year so that's where we are today. Thanks so much Andy. I, I know it, it can only be difficult to talk about Theo. Today we're here to discuss really how best if there is a best way to deal with loss in the early days and whether any of you three have any ideas about coping mechanisms 
after having lost a child. So, Gail, if, if I can come to you, first of all, what's very clear is what should have been a really joyous occasion for Andy and his family ended in absolute tragedy. And they're not alone, of course. I, I certainly see in my work an awful lot of families that are in pain and suffering after losing a child. Is there any advice on how a family can deal with the pain and shock of those early days? Because, of course, a child of mine is aimed to support people in that exact situation. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, some of the things that we would advise is, you know, don't hide away um, and, and actually don't try and do too much. It, it's such um, it's such an incredibly emotive time. And, you know, you've had such a shock and you've got to process this. And and I think, you know, don't don't hide away from it. They're going to have feelings that are so intense and so painful. But I think in those early days, it's just let them come and know that they're not going to last forever. Um, and it's grief. This is grief. And grief is incredibly painful. But it's a process that I think we all have to go through. Uh, and by hiding it and, 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 and blocking it, it just makes it worse, I think. Um, so it's just go with the flow. Take each day, take each hour, I think, if you have to. You know, you could be okay in the morning and then the afternoon. It's just It's just too much. So it is just go with it, take each day, as I say, take each hour and face that grief and know that it is grief and it's quite a normal reaction to what you've just experienced and what you've gone through. I think that's important to know. Andy, I'm aware that you, as you mentioned, were supported by support groups and charities in those early days. How important was that to you? Uh, yeah, really important. Yeah, I think um, we went to a mix of things and I think as well it's... Um, yeah sort of trying different things because it, it might be the right thing at the wrong time as well or it might be the right thing at the right time um so yeah we tr tried a mix of things really you know from individuals that have been through the same situation that hosted kind of support days or events you know in memory um of someone um and a, a couple of different charity meetings um and yeah we particularly yeah worked where i went with the uh, lily may foundation meetings and again, it was just seemed to be a really good fit. It was just a little bit more, yeah, not quite so formal, you know, a bit more relaxed where it's in a pub and, you know, kind of just groups of people um, that have been through the same at various stages. Um, so, yeah, that was probably, yeah, the biggest help. And that was probably, yeah, a, a few months in as well. So I think probably the initial shock and grief had started to ease off a little bit. And that was when, yeah, kind of it. But, you know, it's a long road as well. So, um, yeah, I think having that support longer term was definitely a yeah, massive help. Thanks, Andy. And, and and Dr Kaplan, what would you say about the professional services that are available? And after suffering that acute loss, is that a good time to seek professional help? I think it varies tremendously. It's so difficult to say how an individual should respond. I think if we're talking generally, I would say that the vast majority of people who go through something like this, the most useful support and help they're going to get is exactly what's been already said and that is from support groups people who've been through something similar anything that i mean various organizations who set themselves up and of course there are some very good ones and perhaps some not very good ones but it's identifying these and making sure that you go to the right people but by and large i would say the vast majority of people 
should get support at a ground level from people who've been through something similar. And I th that's not just the case for something like bereavement. There are many other situations that people go through where I would say exactly the same. Now, of course, there are going to be people for whom that's not suitable for a variety of reasons or who don't find that helpful for a variety of reasons. And in a sense, it doesn't matter what the nature of the event is. It happens to a person and people are so different. And the people bring to this event, terrible event, their whole past. And in a way, it depends very much what your past life has been like, how you're going to deal with any sort of adversity. And this is one of the biggest things that anyone could possibly imagine dealing with. And there will be some people who just don't deal with this at all well. And um, if they are, that you have to start signposting and helping people find the right setting in which to get help. And we can come to that. But I'll just reiterate that the, the vast majority of people should get help at a ground level from a support organisation. And so just, just talking then about the importance of seeking support from others, I suppose certainly from my perspective as a professional who often speaks with people who have suffered bereavements, are there any rights or wrongs of what to say in this type of situation? Because it, it, is, it is really challenging. Gail, I, I don't know, you obviously speak to people regularly. I don't know whether you have any views on what should, shouldn't be said. I think there's always that thing when I speak to families about cliches and people will compare their grief and they minimise it or they compare it and they will say, oh, well, at least they're in a better place or at least you can have another baby. And and that's not helpful for a bereaved parent. It really isn't. Um, so I would say sort of avoid those cliches, avoid minimising the grief or comparing it, you know, oh, I lost my dad. I know how you feel. You don't know how we feel unless you've lost a child. And And I think that's very important. Um, and I think some people don't know what to say. And I think that's also OK. Say, I don't know what to say. You know, we're not going to sort of, you know, be be offended by that at all. And I know it's and, you know, like Richard said, everybody is so different and everybody deals with their grief so differently. So, you know, what would offend one person wouldn't another. And, you know, so it's it is sort of just being mindful of of that family. But, you know, not not treading on eggshells either. Say, don't. Say you don't know what to say if you don't know what to say um, or just give them a hug. Now now we can. <laughs> That's really helpful, Gail. I have to say, listening to you talk about losing Lewis and, and Andy talking about Theo, it does make you want to help. A natural part of me wants to help and, and offer some sort of reassurance and comfort. But I have to say, often myself and others have feelings of helplessness. Andy, I suppose, what did you want from others? Did you know what you wanted? Is there anybody, the way that they supported you, that really sticks out in your mind as something that helped for you? Um, I think, obviously, I suppose the people that are a bit closer to you, family and friends, um, kind of approach things a bit easier. I think it's more, like I said, when people don't know what to say, and appreciate it is difficult, um, you know, we're the same, we knew someone that um yes went through a stillbirth themselves and again not by as more of a, a friend of a friend and you know then it is very difficult unless you've yeah, been in the situation and what to say but I think it is yeah some form of acknowledgement is the main thing so yeah not trying to talk around the subjects like I said even if you say I don't know what to say you know something like just say you know it's you know terrible I don't know what to say and you know just start the conversation you know I think I think back to when I 
again, I think I'd just been back in work a few weeks and I bumped into someone that I worked with at another agency and he just sort of said, oh, you know, I heard from Scott or whoever it was, said, you know, I was really sad to, you know, hear, hear your news kind of thing. And But that actually made me feel a lot better. You think it's, I much preferred it that he said that and at least, you know, acknowledge the loss rather than just saying, you know, trying to avoid it or changing the subject. So I think, yeah, acknowledging it and just opening that door and, yeah, allowing the person to make the conversation as well, yeah, it goes a long way. And that really leads me on to ask Dr Kaplan then, what would you say about how important it is to normalise that conversation around a child's death rather than trying to shy away from it? I think normalising it is, is exactly necessary. However, there's a danger in normalising in that it sort of neglects sometimes the seriousness of the situation. I think that if, if someone was in this situation and they went to see their GP, they would be probably encouraged to normalise. That's the way the GP would approach it at first. And it doesn't really matter what the, the event has been. There's an, an adjustment period that we all go through, regardless of what the event has been. And adjustment to anything serious in life takes a long time. I would say that the average amount of time to adjust to something serious is about two years. Now, some people will not adjust at all, and other people will not react at all. And it can be very, very hard for someone else to gauge how to respond in a situation like that. So I, I understand the concept of normalisation, but it somehow suggests that um, everyone will go through that, that we, will, that we will go through a normal process. So I've described an average process, but that doesn't apply to everybody. Um, now, there are understood to be stages that people go through when they're adjusting to terrible events and they tend to follow a pattern and I think that's what people mean by normalizing that people will go through the normal pattern but the normal pattern also varies tremendously so initially most people are so numbed by what's going on they can't respond in an appropriate way at all and that can last for a, a relatively short period of time usually but it then moves into a period when they're sort of searching for things, trying to understand what's happened, constantly studying the detail of what happened and trying desperately to make sense of the situation. And then there's a point at which people feel very helpless and it's called despairing, really. And then a, finally a period in which people try to make sense of it in a more rational sort of way and recover slowly from it. But all of these periods, you, you can look in books and you'll find that there's a set period for each one of these. It's not like that. These stages are pretty much average for most terrible events, but people respond in very, very different ways during each of these phases. And I think the thing that one has to look out at from a professional point of view is when someone somehow gets stuck in one or other of these phases and doesn't progress for whatever reason, and there are many, many reasons for that, but it's when there's not any gradual movement forward, whatever that may mean, that a professional may be necessary. Um, even then, professionals might not be necessary. A support organisation can still handle that very, very well without too much difficulty in most cases, I would say. But there are times when only professional help will be effective. Now, the danger is that because we're encouraged to normalise, when people are stuck, 
and they go and see a professional, they're often met by, well, this is normal. Don't worry, it will go away. And they're made to feel as if, you know, what they're experiencing isn't as real as it feels to them. That, that's when normalization, I think, can become a problem. There's an expectation that people go through a normal process in bereavement. And it takes a bit of skill really to recognize that, hang on a minute, this is not normal, if that's the word we're using. There is something else happening here. Now, very hard to put a figure on how many people out of the total number of people who go through something like this will find themselves in that position, but it's not insignificant. And what happens at that point is very, very important. That, there, that there's a, an appropriate way of managing it without over-involving oneself, but by still providing some sort of feedback that said, look, this isn't going the right way. I think we need to help you here. And then some consideration about what that help should be. Thanks, Dr. Kaplan. Gail, I have the benefit of uh, seeing you nodding, which perhaps our listeners don't, particularly over the idea of people getting stuck in certain stages and perhaps not not progressing on do you do you see that often with your charity we do and you know and that's that's when we would say you know we feel that maybe we do need to refer to different organizations that will be more suitable to help that parent than you know we do you know so we're not a professional in that respect and and you know it is it is knowing the signs and it can get complicated and especially when it's the death of a child you know you know like richard said it everybody's very different and Yes, you can normalise it to a degree, but it can get complicated and, and, and you know, some families will need further intervention. Um, and it's it's recognising that and recognising that progress, as you said. Um, and yes, we do see it. Not not that often. Sometimes, you know, we will have discussions with families and actually they feel so much better that what they're feeling is fairly normal for what they're going through and what they've been through. Um, you know, it's huge. It's life changing, the loss of a child. Um, but it is recognising those signs that they are not progressing. You know, we have a family currently, actually, that, you know, we, we are having to refer on to because they, they, there's just no progress. Um, and it's still as intense now as it was then when they lost their son. And, you know, they do need a little bit more help. And, and you know, that is that's OK. And, and that's that does happen sometimes for sure. Moving forward, so I know we're all here today to talk about and highlight the National Bereaved Parents Day. And the theme for this year is about keeping a child's memory alive. Andy, how important is it to you to make sure that Theo's story is shared? Um, yeah, it's really important. Yeah, I think it's, um, I think that's probably one of the common theme, but thing, themes with the bereaved parents that, um, yeah, there's a feeling that you know, the baby or the child can get lost and forgotten about. Um, so yeah, I think it is important. Um, psychologically more than anything that you know as time and I think this is one of the things that changes over the the grief process as well that the early days there's a lot of support and people checking in on you um but yeah as time goes by people sort of assume that you're okay and obviously things do change and differ but I think keeping the yeah in my case you know sort of Theo's and the baby's memory alive it is really important you know to feel that he's still part of the family um still talked about and yeah still acknowledged because yeah even though obviously in our case it's still birth but, you know, you kind of think there's still memories up to that point and it, it still shapes your life before and afterwards in a, you know, in a variety of ways. So, yeah, I think it is. Yeah, it's really important for any parents that have been through similar to, yeah, sort of keep the, the memory alive going forwards as well. Gail, do you do you think that's what motivates people to light that candle each year on the 3rd of July? I know that last year you had a huge amount 
of enthusiasm and engagement in National Bereaved Parents Day. And this year, you're trying to create exactly the same, well, better that this year. Um, why do you think that people light that candle? I think it's, it's exactly as Andy said, it's trying to keep our children's, you know, memory alive. And it's acknowledgement, it's remembrance, it's awareness, it's all of that. And, you know, we haven't got our children here now to sort of say, look, you know, they're here, look how proud we are of them. All we've got is memories and photos. And, you know, for me, that's the hardest part is I have two other children, you know, and the photos of them, they grow as they get older and Lewis's never changes. And, you know, for me, that's heartbreaking. So that candle means so much on so many levels. And it is that acknowledgement and it's it's acknowledgement of our children that they 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 were here and they still will be. They're still part of our family. And that that is important. Um, last year, we actually had a lady that um, had lost a baby in pregnancy and she'd never told anybody. It was fairly early. Um, and because of the Awareness Day last year, she actually felt empowered to share um, a photograph of her scan picture and to actually tell everybody that she had lost. And for me, that was such an emotional moment. I'm just so proud of her that she could do that and she could acknowledge her, her baby. So, you know, that candle is so, so important um, and means so much, as I say, on, on so many levels. Gail, how this year can people help raise awareness of the day? So I suppose um, we, we're on most of the social media platforms on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, um, just as a child of mine. Um, so we're sharing at the moment lots of content. Um, we're sharing lots of stories, real stories from families um, that have lost their precious children, but also from professionals as well that work with bereaved parents, because we feel that that is so important as well to share so, so many different perspectives. So, you know, people can take a look on our, our social media, they can share our posts, they can like our posts, they can engage, they can comment. We can start talking about it. The whole point is this is an awareness day and it's an awareness day that children do die, sadly, but it's OK and we can talk about it. And I think it's about reducing that stigma. You know, there's a stigma around death generally, but I think when it's a child, it's so much more profound. So and it's also reaching out to, to other parents, you know, you might be somebody that knows another bereaved parent and this might give them, you know, say empower them to go and, and talk to them and, and reach out to them. But yeah, it's, it's about talking about it. And, and it's, we, you know, we want this day to unite all bereaved parents, not just a bereaved mother or a bereaved dad. It's both of them. It's all, all parents. Um, and as I say, it is to sort of reduce that stigma around child and baby loss um, and just get people talking. So. And that's got to be right, hasn't it? So I just wanted to, to end this podcast on some final thoughts, really. I, I thought I would just go around, Gail, if we could start with you about what perhaps the one bit of advice, support or, or, or guidance you could offer somebody who's going through such a traumatic experience as losing a child. I think for me, as I said earlier, it's to take each day, um, not expect too much of yourself. Uh, I mean, you know, this, this is a life changing experience without a doubt. It's huge. And don't underestimate it. Take each day, ride that wave, so to speak, and take support from wherever you can get that practical support, emotional support. Get that support from whoever you can, your family, your friends, the wider circle. That's really important. And as I say, 
don't expect too much of yourself. You know, this is a really tough, painful, incredibly painful time. And, and, you know, time doesn't heal, but I think time helps you manage your grief. You know, it never goes away. Um, as I say, next week, I'm 11 years down the line. And, you know, some days I still have flashback well flashbacks but it takes me back to that day when he died and it's still as incredibly raw as it was then you know but mostly you know I, I have accepted his death and I, I live a new normal life if you like um, but it is it's going to take time and it is just taking each day and not being too hard on yourself. Thanks Gail and, and Dr Kaplan. Yes well I, I can't say how important it is that the organisations such as Gail's are the place to initially go and assume that that's the place at which one should stay, as it were, and see yourself through at a support organisation level. There's work that professionals can do to help in this regard, but for the vast majority of people, it's either not necessary or very hard to access. And these support organisations do incredible work I mean, to put this into perspective, I think you said at the beginning, Laura, there were 22,000 people who would be affected by this in a year, in a given year. And I've worked in the health service for 30 plus years. And I can count on one hand the number of cases that have been referred to me in that time, specifically saying, this person has recently lost a child, can you help them? It's almost unheard of for that sort of referral to be made. And that'll give you a flavour of the, not just the difficulty of accessing service, but how very few people even think that that's what should be done at that time. Support groups are the way to go and they do a fantastic job. And um, so I really would try and emphasise that. Thank you, Dr Kaplan. And, and Andy, uh, any words from you? Yeah, I think much the same, really. Definitely, um, yeah, Gail's point is in, yeah, take it as it comes. And I think definitely don't, um, you know, kind of, try and judge or be too hard on yourself or compare yourself to others on a you know similar ish journey because it's yeah it's so unique and I think even you know you yourself and your you know husband or wife whatever the situation is it's, it's a very individual thing as well there's a lot of common things but um yeah I think um don't be too hard on yourself and definitely yeah seek support in whichever form but like we said I think a lot of the support groups and charities and again you could try a mix it's not like you to stick with a single one you know some people will use you know it could be a Facebook group it could be a football team organized by a charity um, it could be the sort of yeah more formal um, yeah, counseling support groups or group support um, but yeah I think you'll it will just click I think when it feels right and like I say it might be the right time is what it takes so yeah I think just yeah make sure you access that support and, and try a mix if you don't feel that something's clicked yet until uh until it does because yeah it, it will be a big sort of defining moment and be a long-term support going forwards because that that's the aim really to sort of have something that yeah can stick with you as yeah the journey kind of continues to navigate. Thank you so much Andy and to Gail and Dr Kaplan for joining us and for being so open and honest during this podcast. We've covered a lot today, but hopefully our discussion will be helpful to someone when they really need it most. Thank you all.